Greetings and salutations, bitches. <laughs> Welcome to the Noise Report. Uh, this is brand new. Uh, we are going to do this. We're going to laugh. We're going to fuck off. We're going to have fun. Uh, I am welcoming you to my studio, which is affectionately known as the House of Fuckery. Um, <laughs> over here to my left. You can't see him, but you're going to hear him tonight. Uh, his and name is... Do what? <laughs> They could scratch and sniff. Scratch and sniff. There you go. Um, <laughs> you've heard his show on the old station, and you've heard of him. I know you have. Uh, we have his shirt on tonight His uh, with the cool-ass buzzed, buzzed and loaded shirt. Um, it's Mr. Robert Tresino. Uh He's coming to us from Seattle. And uh, we're going to talk about his bands. We're going to talk about his radio shows. We're going to talk about a whole bunch of fun uh, crazy shit tonight. We're just gonna laugh and have fun. That's just that's what this is about. Um, yeah. If you want serious music, Wednesday night you, or start Monday night, you can check out Motor City Glam Slam, um, hard rock, hair bands, all that fun stuff. Uh, Wednesday night, you can check out the hip hop thing. Uh, but this we're just doing because it kind of cleanses the palate after all of the music and the work that goes into choosing playlists and all of that. And uh, this is just me doing what I do best, which is talk shit. Um, everybody who knows me knows that's what I do best. So, and if you don't know that, you're in for a real rude lesson. So, <laughs> <laughs> greetings, fine sir. Introduce yourself and uh, give us a little hey. backstory about you. I am the ultimate palate cleanser. I've uh, been so for lovers for many years. I'm the one and done type of guy where I'm not, I'm the one that comes in after their in-betweener between their relationships. And I'm the like coffee grounds when you're doing wine tasting. So <laughs> I, <I'm>, nice. <laughs> hey, my name is Rob. And as you said, I'm in a couple of bands, Buzzed and Loaded. And uh, we just, I have our debut album out right now. We got uh, Roger Katz, the founding member and Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nominee from Pat Benatar on bass and Buzz Brown on drums, who is the buzz part of Buzzed and Loaded. So I guess I'm the loaded part. Nice. <laughs> and I, I, we're finishing off the fifth album for Fluffer. And as you alluded to, I got the Jet City Rockers show uh, all over the world. And and more and maybe all out in space. Who knows? They're yeah. they're releasing. So I I heard in June the go government's doing a big UFO file dump for us. Nice. So I guess you, you know. So so now you know now maybe they'll take some of our music and the radio show and take them back to their home planet. Yeah, that might be my true audience. <laughs> and I know I'm probably up for a good anal probing at some point from them. The government or the aliens at this point. <laughs> nice. Um, one of the segments that you do on the show um, pertains to uh, drinks, alcohol, spirit of the week, that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Kind of going into that a little bit because we're going to... We're, we're going to segue into a longer segment with that, so, and I'm trying to grab well, something, we, so. Well, we have a silent third member of our show 
kind of like Penn and Teller. We have a silent, we have flight attendant Steve who never speaks on our show, but he's our resident mixologist. And we're on episode 216, and we have never repeated a drink. Some he makes up, some he scours the deeper countrysides of Bulgaria and lower Slavlobia, and he comes in with the craziest mixology treats for us in the cocktail cockpit, as we call it. So I never know from week to week. He kind of has an idea of the playlist, and he comes up with something that's kind of related to it. So he's uh, he doesn't talk much, but boy, does he get us messed up. Yeah. This is... Oh, the, the, oh I, this that's is our, my pro this, this, <laughs> this is our silent partner. This is Zorgon B34. Um, he doesn't Hi, speak Zorgon. a whole lot, but... Uh, we're, we're we're still trying to figure out what language he speaks, so uh, I hope it's not anal probing because I'm yeah. just not ready. Yeah. <laughs> once we uh once we tweak a few buttons and and all of that and get his voice perfect, you're 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 gonna be hearing from Zorgon uh, a lot. Zorgon has a lot to say. Um, oh my. Um, Does he express it to you telepathically currently? Right. I've, I've taught him to. I've taught him two English words so far. His two English yeah, words he knows are asshole and dickhead. <laughs> well, what? you've covered 92% of the planet with just those two terms. Exactly. So, I, I figured, you know. <laughs> um, so alcoholic drinks. Um, as I was telling him, I'm three Seagrams and four Mountain Dews into the night. So um, at this point, I don't know if I'm drunk or I'm just hyped up on sugar and want to fight a tiger. So... <laughs> <laughs> you know that sounds like a country song there three seagrams and four mountain dews right and my baby left me for a, a cross-dressing goat <laughs> my baby go. my baby left me for charlie sheen <laughs> <laughs> now that's a solid choice right there <laughs> right um as far as alcoholic drinks go um kind of name off a couple of your favorite ones because i have a few that i consider favorites i have a couple that we've, uh, I guess, created, so to speak, over the years. Uh, you know, when you're pouring in college and are working with oh, only the most um, terrible of alcohols that you can afford as a poor college student. Um, oh, I, oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. You, you start mixing things that should never be mixed. Uh, oh. <laughs> so we'll, we'll, we'll tell some stories about uh, the, the terrible night that the music god um, damn near killed himself playing quarters. <laughs> uh, oh, gee. Well, I've woken up in a couple of emergency rooms due to consumption in my life, and uh, there was one drink that nearly put me there once I moved to America, um, it was called, uh, what was it? The Black Juice from Hell. And it was a mix of, uh, I'm the only person in Seattle that doesn't drink coffee, but it was kind of a mix of coffee, spiced rum, and uh, cream de menthe. Like, it was just everything but the kitchen sink. I think there might have even been some crap macaroni and cheese particles in it. Ugh. And it was, it was my bachelor party. And we drank a whole bunch of it. We woke up in the morning. We had like these brass cups we were drinking out of. And it had ate the brass 
out of the interior was just gone. And I tell you, that's the worst hangover I've ever had. And I had to get married at one a one o'clock that day, and yeah. um, it, it it was a bad time. So, uh, but I want to say. When I tell my, my, my wife when there, maybe we should try to do some black Jews from hell, she 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 said, no, not that. She right. had an idea for a drink called the Wrong Hole. A perfect name for a drink. And it was so potent that you could imagine what it can lead to <laughs> with yeah. um, consenting adults. But I was so drunk, it didn't matter where I tried to aim, I always hit the wrong hole. So that's how it got its title. Nice. And uh, it's, it's one of my favorites, because you, you, you probably want to know favorites in our line versus one Just crazy drinks. I mean, I know we had, back in the 90s, we had a party. Um, there's a gentleman. Um, he... You may or may not know this gentleman. His name is Dennis Hogan. Uh, he goes by Dehaz. Uh, Dehaz, uh, at one time, was the original singer of um. Oh, I can't even think of their name now. Um, I blame the Mountain Dew. God damn it! Uh, they 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 were a, a, a big rap metal band out of Kalamazoo, Michigan. Um, and after Dennis left the band, they got famous. So Dennis started uh, his own band called 20 Dead Flower Children. And 20 Dead Flower Children were on a couple MTV specials and um, started to get pretty big around the time Korn did. And oh, okay. Dennis was kind of infamous in our circles for taking alcohol and creating ungodly things with him. <laughs> so we get to his house one night and we're pretty much already feeling good and Dennis is like, dude, come here, come here, come here. I got this new drink, man. You gotta try it. Gotta try it. I was like, all right, what is it? He's like, don't worry about it. He's like, dude, lean your head back, put your head back, open your mouth. I said, okay. So he takes a drink and pours it in your mouth. He takes your head and he shakes your head and you stand up and it's just Instantly, man, I just threw up everywhere. Oh my god! And um, I, it was one. It tasted like oh, tasted horrible, but the alcohol content was so fucking high that my brain almost melted in my head. Oh, oh my god! And I was like, Jesus Christ, bro, what the fuck was that? And he's like, It's called a pit bull on crack. A pit bull on crack. I was like, Lovely name, dude. Lovely name. <laughs> oh my god! Did Wouldn't tell us. Exactly what it was, but it was the three things he did tell us that was in there is it had 151 rum, it had Everclear, and it had um, Jägermeister in it. Oh, but that, that just sounds like yeah. a pathway to destruction right yeah. there. Um, so that was um, that, um, but one of the nights we were at Dehaz, Dehaz showed up with his blonde most gorgeous being I've ever seen in my life. I was bound and determined she was spending the night with me. Um, so, of course, talk, talk, talk. Um, you know, hey, if you beat me at quarters, okay, great. Um, I'll whip anybody at quarters. What do we have in the house to drink with? We have Seagram 7, we have Mad Dog 2020, and we have Cisco. Oh, my God. Cisco and Mad Dog 2020 are bad choices to play quarters with. 
<laughs> to the point of I almost ended up in the hospital dead because, you know, <laughs> Cisco should not be. Uh, for you kids who think you're cool with your four loco, you don't know anything about Cisco, okay? Cisco was Salute. the shit that you could drink, piss it into your gas tank, and then drive your car for about five and a half days. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Cis Cisco was just probably one of the most vile alcoholic concoctions ever. Um, but if you wanted to get fall down off your ass fucking drunk on a very small amount of money, uh, you could get a big giant <laughs> bottle of Cisco for, I think it was about a, what, a buck 48, buck 58, oh, something like that. Yeah. I oh mean, my, I, I it, it wasn't much more expensive than a 20 ounce or a Coke. And one of the bottles would just level your ass. Like, if you could drink one of them whole bottles and still be standing, then you were a bad motherfucker. Like, <laughs> <laughs> there, was, there was no two ways around it. Cisco was bad. Um, Mad Dog 2020. You know, again, if you wanted to get drunk on the cheap, Mad Dog had all the vile flavors, you know. Um, mm -hmm. Cough medicine in alcoholic form, basically, is what it tasted oh, like. You know, and they had the orange and the blue and the pink and the green. So, um, you know, to ensure you threw up pretty rainbow colors. <laughs> So, and isn't that what it's all about at that point? Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, so, yeah, we're sitting there, we're playing quarters, and we're alternating between shots of Cisco and shots of Mad Dog. And, yeah, just too much, too soon. Um, <laughs> I lost. I, uh, <laughs> I ended up in the hospital, but, um, you know, um, <laughs> that is the... Uh, that's what we're going to officially call the Don't Drink with Dijas <laughs> segment. There you go. You need a whole sub folder just for that. Um, um, Dennis is a great guy, though. Dennis was funny. A hell of a performer and singer, though, man. Um, uh, Dennis truly was kind of Detroit's own version of Jonathan Davis, really. Okay. Um, if, you, if you go on YouTube and you look up 20 Dead Flower Children, uh, all one word, um, You'll see them perform, and, and uh, Dennis was crazy, man. Like, Dennis had energy, and, and he really, those guys would have held it together, man. I think they would have been, it would have been big, because they were every the bit as good as corn. you know. Play them out before they ever do. It, it's just, there's, there's that chemistry that's so combustible that. I mean, it wasn't that. It was just, I think what it was is they. They went about it the wrong way. I used to tell Dennis, like, you guys are not pushing hard enough. I mean, they were in Cali. They were right there in the scene. They were working. They were doing shows. Um, but it just, it didn't happen for some reason. And eventually, after 20 Dead Flower Children broke up, um, they sort of, were absorbed and became part of the band Corporate Avenger. Um, okay. So if you know Corporate Avenger, then you pretty much know 20 Dead Flower Children because most of those guys were 20 Dead <laughs> Flower Children. Um, and that's kind of what they did is that sort of, you know, kind of punkish reggae, new metal sound. Um, 
but they were amazing. So um, I love those guys. I miss those guys. Like, um, you know, but. Um, and he also, he had another band called Simonic Drive at one time, too. That was more of a metal band. Um, but, anywho. What's he up to now? Um, he... <laughs> Don't tell me he's selling Toyotas. No, he, he works for FedEx, actually. He is one of, he's pretty high up in the FedEx organization. Um, in a... Which is, ironically, hilarious, because at one point... One point after 20 Dead Flower Children broke up, before Corporate Avenger, he formed a new band, and it was actually called Dead X. And they <laughs> sued him over the name. Um, and now he's part of them. Yeah, and he ended up working for FedEx. So, he's um, in the belly of the beast. Yeah, Maybe so... Um, be like aliens and just burst out through their... Uh, yeah. We, we, we still tease him about it, but... You know, we tease him about it, and he'll be like... We'll tease him about it, and he'll be like, 86 grand a year, bitch, 86 grand a year. <laughs> and I was like... Exactly, what can you do? You know? I mean, that's a lot of dollars. Yeah, I was like, it's, I, I don't fault the guy, you know? <laughs> like, I mean... Oh, wow. I mean, hey. when he was in 20 Dead Flower Children, he was working in a fish restaurant, so... I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's a big difference here. You know? Now he can afford to, to uh, eat at the fish restaurant eight times a day if he wanted to. Right. Um, so since I have a question for you. Yes. Have you, cause since you know I'm from Canada originally, mm -hmm. did you guys have a drink down here called the Adios Motherfucker? You know, like I... It's a, it's a drink at the bars. I To be honest, dude, I don't know, because I never was really into drinks, per se. I was just yeah. more of a... You know, we were very inventive. Like, we were broke. Yeah. So we'd go to the store and be like, hey, what's on sale? <laughs> you know? Hey, Cisco, Mad Dog, Ripple, <laughs> you know, Thunderbird. <laughs> we drink a lot of Thunderbird. Ripple. Uh, I thought you were Fred Sanford for a minute when Dude, you said Ripple. Bro, <laughs> no, no offense. Please, nobody take offense to this. But we were the most ghetto-ass white kids, <laughs> college kids you ever seen. Like, you just swore we were like fucking kid and play house party up in that bitch because... Everything hey, we drank was... I just revisited the House Party movies about a month ago, and they still warm my heart. Yeah. Time. All and of those know, movies. Like, bro, those movies during that happy, era. It was a happy time. When yeah. I, but I came back to what I was doing, getting all fucked up and watching that at 3 in the morning in Canada. Yeah. Because, you know, see, we were always like... Um, the cool thing was, being from Canada, you probably know this name. Um, I attended college at Saginaw Valley State University. Um, okay. When you entered into Saginaw Valley State University to drive, literally about 50 yards just down the road from it uh, was Deja Vu. <laughs> <laughs> so I literally had a titty joint literally at my back door of the dormitory. Um, well, that's such a wonderful... So, wonderful yeah, so, you know, we'd go to Deja Vu, and, or we'd go um, Chi-Chi's, if you remember Chi-Chi's back in the day, or La Senorita. Um, oh, yeah. They had happy hour, and they had, mm -hmm. you know, they had happy hour for the drinks, and they had the, the free taco bar. If you went in and you got 
two drink minimum, you got the free taco bar. Well, fuck. $7 in drinks, you got all you can eat tacos. <laughs> Bam. That was a college student's dream, you know. Um, so, hey, what do you want to drink? I, I didn't know the names of the drinks, you know. It's bring me a beer. Oh, Sylvester. Okay, both. You know, and they bring you uh, this or this or this. So, um, I tried a little bit of everything. But it was mostly always from a bottle, or it was Miller. Miller Genuine Draft was one of my favorites. Um, Did you guys have dry beer? We had Molson Dry Ice. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. St. Pauli's the Girl was a favorite of mine. Um, See, it only gave you the, um, how can I put it delicately, the most incredible bowel movements over the next 48 hours yeah. after you drank 12 Molson um, Ices. Yeah. Um, the one that I love the most, and it's you would always find this in my hand if I could afford it, but you didn't want to be around me when I drank it, um, that was Mickey's. I was all about Mickey's, bro. Like, I loved Mickey's, but Mickey's makes me not mean, but very sarcastic. Like, I've got, Mickey's makes me, for some reason, makes my brain work in a okay. way that. So, you know, I would take even the most genuine compliment when I was on Mickey's and I would turn it into something either very dirty or very sarcastic or um, uh, a buddy a buddy once told me that when I drank Mickey's, I became a cross between Eddie Murphy and George Carlin. Oh, Jesus. So, <laughs> he's like, you don't get no more Mickey's. So... <laughs> I was kind of banned from drinking Mickey's um, to the point where the gas station down the road, that's where I used to buy it. And they went down there and they told the lady who owned it, you know, this guy comes in, don't sell him any Mickey's. No, no, no. <laughs> he, he can buy Miller Genuine Draft, Budweiser, whatever. Don't sell him any Mickey's. And I was like, what the fuck is that about? Like, you know, <laughs> I wasn't legal to buy beer anyways, but I had an ID that said I was. So, <laughs> <laughs> You know, well, uh, one thing people don't realize, you have a good, if you want to be a drinker, America's the place to be. Canada, it's like, you know, 64 bucks for a 40-ounce bottle of the, the rock gut, you know. Yeah. And 24 beer is, I don't know, probably 50 bucks up there now. It's just, you can't afford to be in total party mode. Yeah. 20. I could not form a band called Buzzed and Loaded in Canada because yeah. I couldn't afford to be Buzzed yeah. and Loaded in Canada. First time I ever got buzzed and loaded, uh, ironically, was in Germany. Um, oh, my God. My what uncle. Was it 80% alcohol beer? It was, I've, I don't know what the fuck it was. It was Oktoberfest, and my uncle, you know, hey, Rob, come with me. So we go to Germany, and, you know, I get to Stein. And, oh, I love those. You know, and, and he's like, drink it slow, drink it slow. And I'm like, oh, man, this shit is good. It goes down like water. Right, mm -hmm. um, to the point where uh, you ever get so, you ever get so fucked up where you stand up, and the next thing you know, something cold is touching your shoulder, and you look up, and it's a fucking floor. Um, that was oh, pretty I much that day. <laughs> I, I was feeling great, man. I'm sitting there, I'm talking, I'm I'm straight. I, I got to go to the bathroom. I stand up, pow! It was like, man, where'd that floor come from? <laughs> I was like, it's like, fuck, wait a minute, what, what the hell? He's like, why'd the floor punch me, you know? And, um, 
Yeah. It was, uh, it's, it's German beer. I ended up, the first time I ended up in the hospital during high school, um, we had a split lunch period, like uh, 40 minutes of a class, 65 minutes of lunch, and then a final 30-minute part of the same class. Well, my friend was German, and they his dad had made some German beer. Yeah. And I bottle Southern Comfort, a 26-ounce bottle, and we went through the... The, the bottle between three of us, 26 ounces, and six of these beers between three of us. And I was a tiny guy in high school. I was like 127 pounds, you know, 25-inch waist. And, like, uh, that's a leg for me now. But right. back then, that was a waist. And we came back into my marketing class, which we had the beautiful setup. We were doing a, a, a one of those mad Mothers Against Drug Driving anti-drinking campaigns and i came back so fucked up that they called the ambulance because i stopped breathing i consumed so much i lost my vision for three days and i will i can't even look at a in a magazine a southern comfort ad in a magazine and i go right back to that day the smell anything because i threw up all over the class it was so bad that the teacher retired from teaching by the time we came back from winter break. This <laughs> happened the two, two days before the winter break, and she was like 26-year-old, real nice teacher, and I had ruined it for her because I stopped breathing, and they had to you know, bring in the people to yeah. get me out, and then I had to see a guidance counselor for a year for my drinking problem. It wasn't that. I binged once, yeah. and I was a tiny guy. But That's all it takes, though, man. You know, everyone in school, I, I had them looking at me and go, that's the ultimate part. That guy parties so hard, they had to take him out in an ambulance. Meanwhile, they didn't realize how shit it was at my home. Yeah. When, you, when you do something like that, Christmas is ruined, New Year's is ruined, and I probably didn't see daylight till June the following year. Yeah, but, see- it was, but it gave me a reputation that everything as a musician... And a partier and everything, it gave me that reputation. But I didn't really start get, getting good at being buzzed and loaded until, you know, until I was probably 18 or 19. At 15 and 16, I was a lightweight that just, I drank like you, you were saying, where I was, oh, this is smooth. Oh, this is smooth. And just dump them back and then on the floor or face yeah. down at a desk, blowing chunks all over the room. See, I was lucky. I grew up here in Michigan. Um, just down the road from a place called Frankenmuth. Um, okay. and Frankenmuth is, uh, it's kind of known as Little Bavaria. It's, it's a big German oh. town. It uh, has Bronner's in it. Um, now if you don't know what Bronner's is, everyone that knows is from Michigan and hears this show is immediately going to be like, oh, uh, you know what Bronner's is. Um, right. Bronner's is the world's largest Christmas store. Now, when I say the world's largest Christmas store, I'm talking a store that is 11 acres of all Christmas shit. No. It's so big that it's literally divided into sections according to what you want. Decorations are over here. Christmas trees are over here. Lights are over here. Bobs are over here. Books are over here. Um, um, Home Alone. Miracle on 54th Street, um, Jingle All the Way, um, 
um, pretty much every major Hollywood production that has ever done a Christmas movie, all of the Christmas stuff comes from Bronner's. Um, that's like take Home Alone for example. Every Christmas thing in Home Alone came from Bronner's. That's how much shit they have. Um, and you go into the store. It's a huge store. It has, it has. I think like. 46 sections, 47 sections that, you know, like Christmas trees are, you know, section 47 and then 46 is, you know, this and 45 is this, 44, 43, and it just goes down to the other end. And um, I grew up near there. Well, Bronner's also has the Bavarian Inn. It has Zender's Chicken Dinners. It has, uh, it had a brewery for many years and where they brewed their own German beer. And right. one of my favorites was Frankenmuth Dark. It's kind of like Coors Dark, but or Stroh's Stroh's Dark, but uh, much better. But it was true German beer. It wasn't, you know, it was no, it was no five or six percent alcohol. It was German beer. Um, yeah. So my grandpa, couple times a year, you know, we'd go over there and he'd get Frankenmuth Dark, and I'd con my grandpa into getting me one of my own. And uh, um. You know, generally by the time I hit college, I had a much higher tolerance for alcohol because, you know, where all my buddies were drinking like Budweiser, I was drinking Frankenmuth Dark and, you know, Lofhauser and shit like that from Frankenmuth. Um, so, you know, that probably didn't help any when I hit college because I could pour back alcohol. Um, but, you know... Um, let's get into this next section. Uh, five underrated bands. Your, ah. your, your, your show does a lot of, I'm not saying it's strictly what they do, but you, you do a lot of the kind of the 80s, 90s, hard rock, hair metal type of stuff that we both love so much. Yeah, and um, yeah. my, I, I am well known for being a fan of the, the B bands, the underdogs, the, the bands that... Uh, were amazing in every aspect, but didn't quite get over that hump. You know, they they kind of, um, and uh, I've got my own, I guess, little list that I'll go over of bands that I thought were, you know, should have been so much bigger than they were. Um, I have one of mine, actually, from Michigan, from Detroit. They were called Seduce. Yes. And and crash landing from them was top of my workout playlist. Yeah. I, I probably would hit it five times in a row. Bench press is all still around. And then, and then they're in that um, Penelope Spears movie, the yep. Western. They're still around. They just they actually just re-released Crash Landing with new songs and better production and and all of oh, that. Oh no, they were they were great though. Yeah. Like I thought. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad they're still around yeah. and doing it. They, they are a that, great band. That song was just, for me, and of course, probably I only knew of it because being in Ontario, being so close to Michigan, you know, it would leak up into our metal shows on our F Toronto FM stations. Yeah. You know, Friday, Saturday night, they would do an hour of, of metal that was different than the Who and Deep Purple that they played all day. Yep. And that's what I learned of uh, s s bands like them. Um, but if we're talking 
But if I was to give you five underrated bands, let's say, right? There's one from here, um, from the ashes of a band called TKO, which were big in the 70s, early 80s. In 90, they were signed to Gaffin. They were called War Babies. And Brad Sensel, I used to run a pawn shop, and Brad would come in and check out gear in West Seattle where it was. I didn't know who he was at that point until we barbecued together. <laughs> and then he's I'm in a band called the War Babies, and Paul Stanley produced our first album. And I'm there, oh, yeah, he said, we were signed to Geffen. And then, uh, ironically, most of the members from Seattle were crushed by grunge. It came yep. out just as um, yep. Alice in Chains were breaking, and about yep. six months before um, uh, Nirvana made that huge impact, and uh, they were on MTV. I, if someone were to go and listen to, to to them now, their production stands up, songwriting it cool. They were built to be a harder-edged Aerosmith. Mm -hmm. Brad Sensel is considered... Um, I mean, he... I mean, he's an amazing frontman and lyricist, but he's got that presence about him. And if voice is unique, not, he doesn't sound like Steven Tyler, but it's like he has that presence about yeah. him on stage. So War Babies, uh, Hang Me Up by the War Babies is a death. If I had three songs on a desert island, that would be the number one and two. Just in case number one failed, I would right. have number two. And they have an MTV video, and like I said, and then boom, they're done. Yeah. Uh, Hanoi Rocks before uh, Vince Neil killed the drummer. <laughs> that I mean, I was a huge Hanoi uh, Rocks fan, and you know, it's just gutter, gutter glam. You know, I Michael Monroe, and oh, I mean, it's just he's still going. Yeah. I, I mean, he's still putting out good music. Um, there's a band a lot of people in America don't know about, or North America. They were called Tokyo Blade. And the funny thing is, it came down to a coin flip between signing them or Def Leppard. Def Leppard won the two out of three coin flip in, between the two A&R guys. Yeah. And we all know we know, know the history of Def Leppard, and Tokyo Blade is a mere footnote, but they have some great music, and I would urge anyone to check them out. I like them better better I, I like early Def Leppard before it got really polished so I was fine with that and Tokyo Blade is is in that vein too yep. uh, from here we have Tammy Down who moved down to LA and started faster Pussycat they could have been huge I mean it's not that they were small but getting back to it like they're they're a solid B you, you right. know what I mean they're a solid B band and um you know, there's uh, another band, and it's funny enough, the guy's the lead singer, a foreigner now, for like 20 years, but uh, Kelly Hansen had a band called Hurricane, and uh, they were so slick, Being you being from the Detroit, Michigan area, know that Bob Ezrin was influential in doing the Alice Cooper stuff, production and stuff, and Kiss production. He did the, the first full-length album for Hurricane, and it was hair metal. I, I, I mean, it was straight mm -hmm. up catchy hair metal. But they do a cover of 18 that is absolutely original, that is killer. And the weird thing about the band... That's on their second record. Oh, the... Uh, thrill, hold on. 
Because the first one, they had they had one that was weird named. Then they did the second one that had that on, and then they did a third one. I think it was like Slave to the Rhythm or some. Yes, shit. yes, something Slave to the Grind, Slave to um, the, something like that. But, Their EP that came out mm -hmm. is really raw and really cool, and it had a song called Hurricane, mm -hmm. and it was a real catchy song, and probably did a video for ten thousand bucks that looked B level. But still got and some airplay on MTV. Hur oh, Hurricane had, um, or still does, he's actually the only original member of the band now. Um, Rudy Sarzo's brother Robert is the guitar Absolutely. player. Absolutely. And so, Robert almost made it as Ozzy's guitar yeah. player at one point. And yep. uh, Carlos Cavassa, who played with Rudy Sarzo, his brother was the bass player. Right. In Hurricane, so you had two members of Quiet Riot's younger brothers yep. playing in Hurricane, and it's real good stuff. It's catchy stuff, but it just, you know, I guess there's only so many marketing dollars to go around. If you're promoting Rat, you're promoting, you know, L.A. Guns or Guns and Roses. You might not have the. It take. It took so much money to break bands back then. Yeah. But but all their albums are are pretty cool, and their third album which we're both kind of trying to remember the title to, had Doug Aldrich on lead guitar, which, of course, went on to play in Deal and Whitesnake for years. So it's like they all went on. I know Kelly Hansen is amazing fronting foreigner. Yeah. And even Lou Graham will admit that. Yeah. And, and um, I mean, let's face it, Foreigner's a cover band, a tribute band now. Yeah. I mean, Mick Jones with his heart attacks. It's like once a tour, he has a heart attack and misses three months. <clears throat> But know what? I've seen them live, and they still sound great. If yeah. you like those songs, and you have your wife with you, you're going to have a fantastic night. Yeah. But it's funny how many of these people came from B-level bands. Yeah. You know, even uh, Jeff Pilsen on bass and Foreigner, Dawkins is what I would call a B-plus band. They were At best. almost <laughs> they, You know what? And it was probably, you know... I, I think Don Dawkins himself's attitude pushed a lot of people the wrong way, but uh, uh, George Lynch's guitar playing was shredding. Yeah. And you know, when I was in high school, every kid was sitting there learning all the all the George Lynch solos and Eddie Van Halen solos. But uh, yeah, those are some good bands. And I'm so yeah. hey, I'm gonna go buy it. I didn't realize Seduce was still going. I'm going off an MP3 that I had from. I don't know, 21 yeah. years ago or something. No, they just they just re-released re it last year. Um, it's got better production. It's got a whole bunch of bonuses and all that. and um, Still has a punch, but it just has, it's cleaned up now. Um, yeah, so. and that's all it needed. I, I think it was just suffered from, you know, like a lot of bands back then. Yeah. Where they didn't have the $2 million right. studio, but, and they did the best they can. Right. So for me... I'll start going to, over to Canada. Um, oh, you're going to... I think you're doing that to, to, to make me feel at home. You're no, being a good host. No, I... Truthfully, um, oh. one band that I discovered um, simply by going to a record store and just digging through, um, looking for bands that I didn't know, and uh, their cover art is what caught my eye and immediately made me want to own the record. Um, okay. That was Slick Toxic. Oh, um, um, I've actually played shows in Toronto with them, opening yeah. up for them. Nicholas oh. is so amazing. Um, 
Yeah, that's about five years ago or six years ago. I've always been such a huge fan of Sick Toxic, and they're one of those bands where, you know, people know of them, and they say blah, 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 but a lot of people want to refer to Nicholas as a Sebastian Bach wannabe. Um, when the truth of the matter is, Nicholas is a three times the singer that Sebastian is. Um, about five, five, six years ago, um, Moxie, Earl Johnson, put Moxie back together. And um, yeah, and uh, did forty years, forty years, and still riding high. And uh, it was kind of a greatest hits thing, but they re-recorded it. And um, when I heard it, that first song, um, you know, obviously it's not Buzz singing, but when I heard that voice, I was like, "God damn it! I know that voice. Why do I know that voice?" It was killing me, and I was like, it didn't, hadn't released any videos or anything, and then I got the promo. When I got the promo, I was like, that's why I knew the voice. It's fucking Nicholas Walsh singing for Moxie. Earl pulled in Nicholas to sing for Moxie, and he just fucking killed it. Nicholas oh, uh, just sang those songs like he owned them. And, oh, um, of course, I, I, I hit the A&R guy up, and I said, hey, any chance these guys are doing interviews and expecting to get back. Yeah, Earl's doing interviews. All right, cool. I'll talk to Earl. I get an email back that says, yeah, Nicholas is doing interviews. And I was like, score. <laughs> get him on the phone. Um, so Nicholas gets on the phone and we start talking and man, we talked for two hours, you know, just had a good time laughing and, and, um, you know, Nicholas is a, is a genuine good guy. Um, he's slick toxic. Now he has famous underground. He does, but he also does, Moxie, he has his um, tribute stuff he does where him and his wife put together their, they take, they pick their favorite records and they put a special band together and then they go, they rent a theater and they perform the entire record. Oh man, that is a um, but fantastic idea. They do like two a year and it's all different weird shit like he did 2112 by rush but he rush. did uh night at the opera by queen he did one by um oh i think i think blackfoot was one that he did it's just really oh, random wow. stuff that he loves but they take a record they like and they perform the whole entire record as like a tribute and um you know it's just really amazing and i love that he does it so um number two on my list kind of matching up with war babies um, and the reason I, I, I would, I had War Babies on my list, uh, but since he already talked about War Babies, I'll go with what essentially was the L.A. version of War Babies. That's Asphalt Ballet. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, Absolutely. so much in common, uh, Gary Jeffries and Brad had very similar voices, big, powerful, bluesy, um, really... Yeah. Both bands should have been much bigger than they were. Five years earlier, they would have yes. owned Yes, Albate Grunge. Um, yeah. Shark Island, obviously. Everybody oh, yeah. knows my love of Shark Island. Um, and everybody has heard me say, if it wasn't for Richard Black, Axl Rose would have never had a spiel or moves or gimmick or anything because he completely stole it from Richard. Uh, and if you... Don't believe me? Feel free. Go on YouTube. Look up Richard Black Shark Island. 
you will see that he was doing those moves long before X will come along. <laughs> so, um, the whole shake, shimmy, side to side thing that Axel does, uh, completely stolen from Richard Black or Shark Island. Um, a number four on my list was a band out of England, um, Dogs D'Amour. Um, oh, absolutely. Love Dogs D'Amour. Uh, Tyla and, and uh, all of those guys were just we so... Both, we both went across the pond to pick a band yeah. from England. Um, and, and the fifth one for me, they're really not a hard rock band per se. Um, I put these guys on the list because had this band run its course and the singer hadn't died of a heroin overdose and this is going to circle back to the Seattle thing Nirvana never is one one thousandth of the band um, Pearl Jam never exists Soundgarden probably does because Chris Cornell was best friends with the singer who died um, and we're talking about Mother Love Bone um Andrew Wood was the epitome of everything a rock star was and was supposed to be. Um, Absolutely. Fortunately, with the heroin overdose, it left a huge, huge void. There was an absolute feeding frenzy of record companies that wanted Mother Love Bone. Every major label was after this band because they essentially were Aerosmith coming into the new era. They were going to bridge that gap. When Mother Love Bone disintegrates because of Andrew's heroin overdose, Nirvana happens to be right there to jump into that void. So essentially right place at the right time is why Nirvana became. And essentially evolves into Pearl Jam. Um, three of the five guys of Pearl Jam yeah, are um, Stone Gossard Stone and Jimmy. No, uh, Stone Stone was the guitar player. Uh, Jeff was the bass player. And I think Jimmy Chamberlain, I think the drummer was with Mother Love Bone. Yeah, um, yeah, I was just trying but, to... Um, anyways, three, three of the five guys of Pearl Jam um, were essentially Mother Love Bone. And <laughs> you can't not talk about Mother Love Bone because that record to this day is it's a flawless record. And if Andrew doesn't die of a heroin overdose, I shudder to think what that guy could have done. I mean... Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Just... A phenomenal songwriter, phenomenal voice, charisma. Enough well, charisma for star. twenty guys. Oh, he was like, um, you, you, you know, he was like Mark Boland. Like yeah. The glam, like, like his he, he was looks. to me. Yeah. Andrew Wood was essentially Jim Morrison and Steven Tyler in one person. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he had that. Now. He had that tortured poet side of Morrison, but he had that just charisma of Steven Tyler, man. And the kid could mm-hmm. fucking sing and perform, and and it's just so tragic. And and one of the few people that I ever cried about dying. 
Um, yeah. It just Metal Edge, you know, if you remember back in the day, you know, Metal Edge was, that was sort of the Bible of rock. Um, Absolutely. And all it took was me to see Mother Love Bone. That was a cool name. And I checked out that little three-song demo. And when I heard Man of Golden Words, I was sold. I was like, dude, that is just one of the deepest goddamn songs I've ever heard in my life, you know. And um, it just, again, it was an example of, you know, what could have been. Um, and I think if Andrew doesn't die, I think War Babies become a much more major band because I think the Seattle thing carries over. Um, oh, absolutely. You know, yeah, Chris no, was going to be a superstar no matter what because he was friends with Mother Love Bones. So he was he was either going to come along on it or he was going to benefit from it. Um, oh, yeah, but, absolutely. you know, I mean, it was just, it was what it was. And, um, you know, if, if I had to add just a bonus band, I think it's a band that most everyone hates personality-wise, but you cannot deny the power of the music. And the singer's absolute reckless abandon. And uh, that is the band Warrior Soul. Uh, Corey Clark is an absolute fucking monster, dude. Like, I love that man so much. Detroit guy. Gotta give him the Detroit love. Um, but Corey is a fucking warrior, dude. Like, Corey has seen and done shit that... Um, you know, I was invited to drink with Corey one night, and I'm like, you know what? As much as I love that, that is way above my pay grade. <laughs> I knew I was not ready for that weight class. Like, you know, oh, like you no, asking no, me to punch completely out of my weight class, bro. Like, um, <laughs> so that's a no. So, um, yeah. But, but it's funny, like one of the bands you threw out, during this um something i was listening to earlier today was blackfoot and yes they they were like a solid b band but they had i mean uh ricky medlock of course has been in leonard skinner playing lead mm -hmm. guitar for what 172 years now yeah but he could sing he barely did backups in in skinner and he was the lead singer with blackfoot and their cover of Wishing Well by Free is, like, just dead-on yeah. amazing. Yeah. But their music was just blues, hard rock, yeah. or however you want to put it. They should have been bigger. And I yeah. don't know if it was... I don't know what happened that they weren't... I, I didn't even know of them until I came to the States. I, in Canada, no, they're a non-entity. Yeah, I, I, I can name a couple things that went wrong with them. I won't because okay. it won't be politically correct. Um, oh. One is Ricky's personal things. <laughs> um, <laughs> Rick, Ricky is a very standoffish guy. He's not a nice person per se. Um, so I think that got him in a lot of trouble. And um, the other thing is, is. Um, he was very much kind of always on the, not the forefront, but sort of the back of Skinner. And he knew very early on that he was going to be a part of Skinner. It was a, a question of when. So Blackfoot wasn't pushed as hard. Um, 
but they did a good number of records. And uh, if you know me, you know that one of my top two all-time songs, um, you mentioned Michael Monroe. My number one song of all time, Dead Jail or Rock and Roll. That is my life theme. <laughs> I knew from a very early age, I had three paths in life. I was either going to be dead, I was going to be in jail, or I was going to be involved in rock and roll in some way. Um, and when and he, yeah, when he released that song, it was like a goddamn epiphany, bro. Like I, that was it. That was dead jail or rock and roll. And I was like, I don't even know the man. And you just wrote my life story. Like, yeah. you know, and From, I, uh, to your, to Michigan. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, no, but he summed it up. Yeah. He summed it up. Um, his stuff is still high quality yeah and we know a lot of people verging from the 80s to the 2020s you know you listen to it and you know they put it out as a reason to do a six-week summer tour somewhere mm -hmm. he's still writing vital rock yeah. and roll yeah he's and he's flawless stuff man like and he, he seems like he gets better with age man almost like wine he just keeps going and going and um and it's so strange how many hard rockish frontman play saxophone yeah <laughs> you, um. you know and there's something totally unique right there but there's so many of these great bands that were just on the verge i i was listening to a band the other day called dirty looks and or another one after danger and it's like wow i mean this could have been when I was listening to Old Ruby by uh, by Dirty Looks, it's like, this could have been a Bon Scott era ECBC platinum single. Well, you know, who, and it's, you know who the original singer of Dirty Looks was? No. Blaze, Blaze Bailey. Who replaced Bruce Dickinson mm -hmm. in Iron Maiden. I did not know that. That's See, there where we go. you get like that. Yeah. He was the original singer of Dirty Looks, and again, they were a band that Blaze was going to be a superstar. It was just a question of of who he was going to do it with, um, you know. Um, he's a he's a pretty humble guy. Yeah, you know when he talks about not being included in Iron Maiden's Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nomination, he holds no animosity over that. He knows it's all the politics of. The board yeah. of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's not. And, and you can't hold it because, you know, if you hold those grudges, you just, you burn yourself out. And. Oh, absolutely. You know. But um, going well, back to you, the Blackfoot thing, you, my number two favorite song of all time is a highway song by them. My dad's oh. a truck driver, and growing up in the front seat of that truck, I was our song. You know, I mean, oh, seven years old. Imagine. You put Blackfoot Strikes on and Highway Song comes on. It was like it's 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 that same kind of almost like Hotel California type of song or Stairway to Heaven. It's oh, got I, that big solo and that big and you know, and it's just one of them songs you lose yourself in it. You know, and when you're a truck driver and you're driving down the highway and you're just screaming highway song, you know oh, that is sadly having turned fifty this year. That is one of the very, very few good memories I have with my father. Um, you know, my dad's still alive, but we don't talk. We've talked three times in 
We've talked three times in probably 35 years. Um, oh, my. And, but that's, when I think but, of the positive memories that I have, that's the number one positive memory. Uh, that and getting to meet Jerry Reed, you know. Oh, um, I love <laughs> Um, You know, those are the two memories that I have. They revolve around truck driving. And so if, if you hear that song, does it instantly take you back to being oh yeah. in the truck? Oh, yeah. 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 Same with Jerry Reed. I, I got to meet Jerry Reed. I was seven years old. We were down south, and generally my dad hauled whatever he could get, but mostly it was aggregate, gravel, stone, that kind of stuff. He hauled it yeah. from Michigan down to Alabama. <clears throat> this particular day, we were in Mississippi, and um, pulled into a truck stop, about 5.30 at night, 5.45, and around there. We come in, we come back around, and see this big truck. And I'm looking out the window, and my first thought is, Dad, that's the snowman's truck. Dad was like, oh, no, it's just some trucker who, he's a fan of the movie. He's, he's got a truck like snowman. Very logical, you know. Absolutely. So, we pull in, and Dad parks, and we go in, and go into the restaurant, and we sit down, and I told him, I said, hey, I got to go to the bathroom. And he said, back over there, okay, so... I go, and I come around the corner, and I'm walking. As I come around the second corner by the bathroom, in the very back booth, I stop dead in my tracks. And uh, I turn around, I run back to the table. I told Dad, I said, Dad, Jerry Reed is in the back. Dad's like, oh, it ain't Jerry. It's just somebody who looks like him. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at my dad like, that's Jerry Reed, bro. I said, oh, it ain't him. Go to, go to the bathroom. So at that point, I'm seven and I'm determined. That's Jerry fucking Reed at that table. So I go back around there and I get to the table and I stop again. And I'm staring at the table like this. And he looks up and he smiles and he says, can I help you? I said, are you Jerry Reed? He said, yes, I am. I said, my dad said it wasn't you. He said, where's your dad? I said, he's over there. Jerry stands up, yells across the restaurant. He's like, son, come on over here and have dinner with us. <laughs> and my dad stands up, and his eyes are about this big around. And dad's like, holy fuck. <laughs> so we had, we had dinner with Jerry Reed. What it was, they were filming Smokey and the Bandit 2. They were filming the scenes where he was driving, and they got away from catering and got hungry, so they stopped to have dinner. Makes logical sense to me. So it was the snowman's truck that I seen in the goddamn parking lot. Oh, man. <laughs> Those movies are the so, Again, like I said, that's to, to this day, those are the two memories that I have with my dad of, of those, you know. And, and, and I don't say it to be negative or anything. It is what it is. But, you know, I mean, Blackfoot, even though I'm not a massive fan, I hear that song, and it's a, it's got an attachment to it that, you know, <laughs> it's oh. a strong attachment. So, 
Um, you know what? And it's your age, too, bad that my dad was a real estate agent, and I'd go on the weekends to help him hand out pamphlets and stuff. And um, he had a, we had an eight-track player in the old Oldsmobile, and he was a big uh, uh, George Jones fan and everything. Dr. Hook. Funny enough, yep. he was a Dr. Hook fan, not even recognizing all the drug references in their songs. But he was really bound and determined to just keep playing over and over the um, oh, Charlie Rich yep. and, and the most beautiful girl in the world and stuff like that. And my dad passed from cancer um, almost 20 years ago now. And every time I hear that song, it just takes me back to being six and seven years old in the front seat of the old Oldsmobile and just my dad singing out a key, but just not, he didn't give a shit. That yep. was his, that's how he felt about my mom, and he's just singing it out loud. Uh, he was, uh, he would call himself, he was a five foot four little wop. Yeah. kid in key, had one eye, and glass eye, and he was just a cool character. But every time I hear Charlie Rich, it, it's the same feeling you get from hearing uh, yeah. the Highway song. And, you That's, know, there's a lot of songs like that. My dad's favorite artist, and one of the worst arguments me and my dad ever got into, <laughs> <laughs> completely unintentionally, um, we got into a screaming match one day because his favorite artist is Bob Seger. Oh. <clears throat> to the point of... The number one rule with my dad is thou shalt say no negative of Bob Seger. And I was just fucking sick of hearing Bob Seger. <laughs> and I told dad, can we listen to something else? I'm really sick of Bob Seger. And I just pissed my old man off. What? He's like, I'm driving a fucking truck and you don't get to choose the music. You sit down and shut up and listen to fucking blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, excuse me for living. And he, boy, he, you know, at that time, that was back in the day. You didn't talk back like that. No. You know, no, and boy, it just pissed him off for the whole day. And we were at each other the whole day over that. And I didn't mean it to start an argument. It was just you after nine and a half up. hours of Bob Seger, it was like, dude, can we listen to Jerry Reed, Charlie Daniels, Red Solvine, fucking Zeppelin, oh, Bad Company. I mean, we got this, you know, my dad had this massive collection of cassettes and eight tracks, you know. To the point, my dad to this day, <laughs> don't ask me how I know this, but my dad to this day, he has a 2020 Peterbilt 550 series thing, fully loaded to the gills, and he still has that goddamn 8-track player Are installed in Oh, dude. Because he has to be able to listen to his old Seeger, his Red Solvine. He has to listen to his, his. he has a, a whole massive collection of 8-track tapes. And he's got to be able to listen to them, you know. Like, oh, that stuff's not on fucking blah, blah, blah. It's, it's dead. Everything's on the internet. Absolutely. Oh, you, you can't find Give me five minutes. I promise you I can download this shit to your phone. That don't sound the same. Whatever. So maybe because his tapes are so worn out now, of course they aren't going to sound those. I don't know, but like I said, it was just one of them things. So, um, but music-wise, Air Supply, this is you know this is a band for me that I know a lot of people kind of 
the connotation if you listen to air supply is all blah 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 um but you know going back here a couple days ago to jim steinman dying i don't care where i'm at what i'm doing if the song making love out of nothing at all comes on Oh, you get in a motherfucking concert, okay? I'm going to sing that song. I don't give a oh, fuck yeah. if I'm in the grocery store or what. That is just one <laughs> of them songs that you cannot. Total Eclipse of the Heart is another one. Jim wrote that one. You got to sing along with that song. You cannot sing that damn song. It's like, you know, and I'll guarantee you, you get my ass drunk and take me to karaoke. I'm singing Making Love Out of Nothing at all at least once. Probably twice. Like, I don't care if I can't sing. I'll scream it. You know, I'll, I'll sing the goddamn thing like I'm Corpse Grinder from Cannibal Core. You know, I don't care. But it's, that you song know, it's is getting sung. Thing. It's an honest Michigan thing. I have a friend who's a singer from Michigan who moved out this way, and um, he got caught by his bandmates singing in the basement with through the PA doing uh, "Making Love Out of Nothing" out at all and they just sat there yeah. they thought you you know the connotation of yeah. it and, and he just said i don't give a shit yeah. this is powerful yeah. music i and was talking moved. i was talking to ron keel the other day and i told ron i said ron you know this song has you written all over it right dude like you know that you could probably create the most monster rock version of the song that ever existed because Ron is a massive Jim, Jim Steinman fan, you know. Oh, and okay. I just, I could see Ron Keel just creating this fucking, just bigger than life, hard rock version. And does that it. also go back to our kind of underrated unsung heroes? Because going from Steeler to the Ron Keel band yeah. to Iron Horse and all this other... I read his autobiography, and I found it really interesting, his yeah. childhood, too. He had a complicated childhood with his father, and, and uh, it, you know, he he was an interesting guy. Without him bringing Ingwe Melnstein over yeah. from Sweden to play with Steeler, and then he took off to Alcatraz, but without that, where, where does that leave Ingwe's career? Yeah. Because it was pivotal... For him to be in America at that six-month to 16-month period to become what he was. Right. So without him, without Ron Keel, you don't have the neoclassical Shredmeister at probably at that same level because it hit at a certain time. And music is all timing. But mm-hmm. uh, Ron Keel has been a very generous person yeah. uh, online, like even on some of my music posts. He'll pop on, and it will be uh, a big day for me when he says, "Hey, man, listen to your song. Liked it." Yeah. For me, that's like that was like yeah. being um, on your list last year with the Hammer of the Witch album from yeah. Fluffer, and to be like so close, like to where my buddy David Reese is, a much underrated singer yeah. as well. It's like, but but there's these are the good guys of rock and roll. Yeah. And you think with the Gene Simmons influence on keel i thought they were going to be there you know and they were a solid b again but yeah they deserve to be an a yeah for me and and again you know? there were so many bands like that um 
Sea Hags, Junkyard, um, The Mouths, um, I mean, I, I could go on literally all day with bands that should have been there instead of Motley Crue, should have been there instead of Winger, should have been there instead of Dokken, you know, it just wasn't the thing. Mitch Malloy, I have been the biggest fan of Mitch Malloy, um, for years. One, because Jerry championed him so hard in, in Metal Edge, like, that was Jerry's oh, personal absolutely. pet thing, um... Two, because I tease Mitch. I talk to Mitch a fair amount. Uh, going back to probably around 10 years ago, um, about six years ago, I was doing country stuff. And I had this band that I was promoting, and a guy says, do you want to interview him? And I said, sure. So I'm looking at their bio, and I'm reading their bio. And... Um, Says it's produced by Mitch Malloy. And I was like, oh. <laughs> so I asked him, I said, you know Mitch? He's like, what? Uh, he's like, yeah, I manage Mitch. Really? <laughs> well, check this out. <laughs> I happen to be one of Mitch's biggest fans. And I would kill to interview Mitch. Like, Mitch literally, at that time, was the top of my bucket list. Awesome. And um guys like, well I can make it happen. Mitch is a busy guy. He's like, but he's a very, very friend friendly guy. And I was like, all right, cool. Well I'll tell you what, get a hold of Mitch, you know, let him know. We'll talk back and forth. But probably not even fifteen minutes later, I get a message from Mitch and says, Hey dude, he's like he's like, I'll gladly do an interview with you. He's like, I'm in the studio right now. I'm gonna be here kinda late. He's like, can we do it later tonight? And I was like, sure. He's like, can we do 10, 10 p.m.? All right, cool. So 10 p.m., I'm there, I'm waiting. Nothing. And I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and I'm like, yeah, I got fucking just ghosted, right? But 10.50, my phone rings. And he's like, dude, he's like, this is Mitch. And I was like, hey, man, what's up? And he's like, I am so sorry. He's like, dude, I come out of the studio, and my daughter wanted me to read her a story, and... He's like, I was reading the story, and I fell asleep next to her. And he's like, we can totally reschedule if you want. He's like, I just didn't want you to think I ghosted you. And I was like, oh, no, God. dude, I, I know. You're a producer, dude. You're producing tons of bands. I get it. I was like, when do you want to read, When do you want to do it? And he's like, well, I can do it right now if you're free. And I was like, oh, yeah, give me two minutes. Turn the shit on. And, again, two hours. We talked, and we laughed, and we joked. And I was teasing him. Because if you've ever seen a picture of Mitch in 1987 and a picture now, Mitch has literally not aged a day in 40 years. And I tease him like, dude, come on, you're hiding a fountain of youth in your fucking basement. Share and share alike. <laughs> and now Mitch is like, he's like, he laughed about it. And he's like, you're not the first person who says that. He's like... He's like, it's a secret, though. He's like, so don't tell anyone it's in my basement. And, and I was, I, because him and Nicholas both, they literally look like they haven't aged, you know? Very and it's like, dude, age. what the fuck are y'all drinking or eating that you don't age? Like, you make Dick Clark look like a fucking alien, you know? Like, um, <laughs> so I interviewed Mitch and I, I still talk to Mitch, you know? And Mitch is, he's one of the nicest guys. 
And again, he's somebody who, you know, this is what... He he is in great white. You know, he was supposed to be the singer of Van Halen. Absolutely, that was the it was logical to politics. Me. Stop that, you know. Um, but I think if Mitch would have took over with Van Halen, I think Van Halen would have had a very different era, a third era. Oh, oh, um, absolutely. Not that Gary was not a good singer. I liked Van Halen three personally. I think it's a good record. Yeah. Um, but Gary, personality-wise, I don't think was a was a great fit for those guys. No, um, no. And 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 to take nothing away from Gary, I love Gary. I think his Extreme is probably again one of the most underrated bands of all time. Um, so, um, anyways, let's move. Uh, Die Hard. <laughs> it's Die Hard a Christmas movie. <laughs> I had this argument. If recently with my wife, she says it's a male-female thing. Males, like I'm sure, I, I'm not, I'm not going to put words in your mouth. For me, I watch it every Christmas, so it's a Christmas movie. It uh, doesn't have to be uh, like uh, a Christmas story or something that you right. know, or Miracle Thirty Fourth Street, or It's a Wonderful Life. To me, there's two movies that I watch every Christmas, and that is one of them. So, yes, for me, Christmas movie, Christmas movie, and Christmas movie. Yes. And let me add, Lethal Weapon is a goddamn Christmas movie. Oh, I would have dealt that. I'm getting too old for this shit. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you remember the original Lethal Weapon, one of the scenes uh, when he's undercover and he busts the guy with the cocaine... They're in a Christmas tree lot. That's right. And oh. at the end, when he drives the car through the living room, he drives it through the Christmas tree that they have in the living room. So it is That's a Christmas right. movie. It takes place during Christmas. You uh, know, it, technically it might be considered visually more of a Christmas movie than even Die Hard. Maybe. Even though but, it's a Christmas party, but I'll tell you, there's nothing. More badass than Die Hard at Christmas, right? It, and again, Lethal Weapon as well. I, 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 I'm like you. I watch both of those at Christmas time. Like I, those are my Christmas movies. Um, <laughs> so, um, we are in agreement that yes, maybe it is we a man versus woman thing, but lock, stock, barrel. Yes. Um, what else have I got in here? Dream Band. I, I kind of wrote this one out for you, so you know where I'm going. Um, yeah. You get to perform one night at a major festival. You get to create your own dream band for one night only. Who is your okay. dream band? <laughs> well, I would probably step away from two duties I do in both Fluffer and Buzz and Loaded. I would like, okay, I'm just going to be happy to be on stage with them, hitting power chords behind them. <laughs> But on bass, I'd probably have Geezer Butler from Black Sabbath, because I just like how he plays. Lead guitar, for me, go back to my youth. I love Michael Shanker's Euro Metal from UFO and then his solo stuff. Singer is really tough. See, at first I want to say Steven Tyler, because right. of the charisma. But then someone who's influenced me into being more theatrical... And someone with obvious um, 
eventual Detroit ties as Alice Cooper, just because I've seen him like six times in concert and he's delivered every time. Even at 70 when I saw him, he was playing a good in his late 50s when I saw him. Right. Um, drums? Oh, I started off as a drummer. And you limited it. Are you limiting it to live people? No, I guess I have to be live. I can't play with a hologram of someone. Believe it or not, I'm going to go off the traditional grid of saying, you know, this guy or that guy that's really popular and famous. I'd probably go with Vinny Apiece. His drumming on the on Mob Rules album and his early Dio albums was really kick-ass for me. I, I, I like a high-energy drummer like that. And I actually learned to drum from his brother, Carmen Apice. See, there are two Italian guys who disagree on how to say their own last name. But Carmen <laughs> Apice, um, I learned how to drum from his Rock and Roll Rudiments book, because I started off as a drummer. But Vinny Apice um, has become kind of a friend of Buzz and me. So not only is it on a personal level, but on a true early deal era record level that I would like him to be my drummer. And I sit there and, and play the odd power chord and just go, holy shit, I'm the luckiest man in the world. Nice. Um, let me write this down real quick. Um, for me, I'm a bass player, but I suck at playing bass. So I would probably regulate myself to being <laughs> just a backup singer. Um, okay. My dream band has always been, and I am going to include one person who is dead now, just because it's my okay. dream and I get it's to do your, what I want. And it is your show. I have um, to point that out. <laughs> on vocals, for me, absolutely has to be Jeff Scott Soto. I've seen Jeff so many times live. I love Jeff. The guy could sing what the fucking phone book. He's been involved with. He's been with a lot of projects. What's yeah. your favorite? Um, you know, man, that's a really hard. That's a really hard question. Um, I really, really do love Sons of Apollo. We seen them recently. Um, blew me yeah. away. Um. But I think, truthfully, my favorite thing that Jeff ever did is the couple records that he did with Takara. Oh, okay. Um, or even he did two records with Zeno or Blackmore. Oh, I remember that band. Yeah, um, he did a couple with Zeno. And Z those were really good underrated records as well. Um, so um, I think those two would probably be... Um, the record he did with Ice was really great. Um, Jeff has done so. Jeff can, like I said, Jeff can literally just sing the fucking phone book and make it sound like a million dollars. Like, um, Jeff is the only guy that could take a stupid cartoon like Biker Mice from Mars and make it sound fucking amazing. Like, <laughs> like Jeff literally performed the soundtrack for Biker Mice from Mars. You know, so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jeff also, uh, when you see the movie Rockstar, <clears throat> stand up and shout. 
there are two versions of Stand Up and Shout. <clears throat> In the beginning, it's Matejovic from Steelheart. Um, you know, the one where it's a super high notes and a... Stand up and shout! That is actually Matejovic. Mike, whatever, however you want to call his name. Now, at the end, where he kind of puts the microphone down and the other kid comes up and sings, that's Jeff's yeah. version. That's why they both perform it live. Um, so, Thanks. Jeff is a, a monster singer, so Jeff would have to be my singer. Um, my bass player would have to be Billy Sheehan, just because... Do you, know. you remember his band from Buffalo, Talus? Yep. That, I'm... Yeah. Um, my drummer, I'm going to go completely out of left field with this one. Uh, this is a guy I have known. <laughs> Do what? I'm from Sonic Youth. I'm sorry I had to throw that at you. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll get to them. Um, okay. This is a guy I've known for many, many years. I've talked to him on a couple occasions. i uh, seen him, got his autograph. Um, he's currently... Uh, in the band Godsmack. Um, but he started out in a band called Ratch Out America. Um, his name wow. is Shannon I Larkin. Even of that band in yeah. forever. I remember them. Shannon Larkin. Um, for those of you that only know Shannon from Godsmack, you are missing an absolutely epic <laughs> lifetime of drum playing. Go back and listen to his playing uh, both in Ratch Out America for two, the two CDs. It's Climbing the Walls in 3D. And then that band essentially morphed into a band called Souls at Zero, and they did two records. Um, mm -hmm. Same group of guys, essentially. They just, uh, something with the, uh, Ratch Out America, I think, uh, just got tired of being mixed up with the band Ratch Out. Um, yeah. So okay. they converted to Souls at Zero. And then Shannon went on to be in um, Ugly Kid Joe for a while, and then he was in Godsmack. Um, but go and listen to Shannon's drumming on those Ratch Out America records. You don't even understand how great of a drummer that Shannon is. Right. See, I'm going to have to go revisit. Now I'm, that piqued my interest. I think I'm going to have to get some Ratchet Child America on the Jet City Rockers show. Dude, I, I, their you know, their cover of Pink Floyd's "Time," dude, favorite cover of all time. Like oh, it sweet. literally is just. I am I am always so skeptical of any Floyd cover, and right. Boba Flex when they did, you know, their that was a very good cover. Um, but of every cover that has ever been done of Floyd, to me, nothing is even in the ballpark of their version of time. I mean, okay. it's just... That's a big one for me to check out. Then. Yeah, like Shannon's timing on that song, the way that he propels that song at such a perfect pace that it keeps its original emotion, but it also takes on that heavier, uh, almost early Metallica vibe to it. Okay. Um, it has a very sanitarium type of vibe to it, the way they perform okay. it. Um, oh, that, that's very It is just fucking... Um, and the reason I chose Shannon, mainly, um, is he is also in a band called the Apocalypse Blues Review. 
uh, as a, a blues band. And uh, that goes to my guitar player. I could never imagine having a dream band on stage and not having Gary Moore handle oh, the guitars. Absolutely. Um, I, for those of you who know me, know I have sort of a janky eyebrow. Um, my janky <laughs> eyebrow comes from 1987, uh, standing second row at Castle Donington uh, for Gary Moore's After the War show. And the corner of my eyebrow basically melting off my face and never growing back properly. Um, Seriously? Yeah, That's from from door. Gary basically just blasting my goddamn eyebrow right off my fucking face. Um, <laughs> Gary, um, Gary, if you listen to Gary Moore, you know. I don't have to explain it. The guy was the most beastly guitar player that ever graced this earth. Um oh. Stevie Ray Vaughan said, if it wasn't for Gary Moore, he doesn't exist. You know, what higher compliment could you possibly get as a guitar player than to have somebody the caliber of Stevie Ray Vaughan to say, if you don't exist, I don't exist. You know, I mean... Tell you, Gary Moore whether it was when when I saw live footage of him with Thin Lizzy mm-hmm. or when he was out on his own. Um, I, when I was a kid, I, I bought his Corridor of Power and Victim of the Future. Yep. And that song, and his um, cover, Shapes of Things, was one of my favorite covers. Talk about going back in time. And then everything he did through it, blues era, he was a versatile guitar yeah. player. He could play jazzy stuff. He could play traditional hard rock stuff. Yeah. He could play almost apocalyptic yeah. metal at, at stuff. There's a live in Dublin concert that mm-hmm. I caught on YouTube, and I don't know who was singing with him. Like there was a guy I'd never seen before, and uh, I just yeah, wanted sure. to really get focus on Gary, anyways. And the singer guy kind of threw me off. I would have rather just heard Gary just singing play and everything but some of the lead work he was doing there yeah. was so off the cuff and yeah. so face melting yeah. as you, you can attest to with your eyebrow yeah and, gary uh, gary could literally go from the most soulful blue solo into an almost satriani style solo of blazing speed and ferociousness, and then just flawlessly segue back to that. If you want to know what Gary Moore was about, all you need to hear, one song. You need to hear his version, his cover of Rory Erickson's The Messiah Will Come Again. It is ten and a half minutes of the most utterly dumbfounding <laughs> guitar work you will ever hear. To me, The Messiah Will Come Again, Gary's version of it, is the epitome of what can be done on electric guitar. I mean, it's just... There you go. You know, and, and he doesn't sing on it. There's no vocals to it. It's just ten and a half minutes of Gary Moore showing you that he was the baddest motherfucker to ever pick up six strings. <laughs> Plain and simple. You know? <laughs> I mean... um. Unfortunately, he wasn't performing that during the time that I seen him. Um, 
he was doing the after the war stuff, which is very much more it's almost like an Ozzy ish style, um, is what that was. But again, Gary was ferocious and he very much had that Stevie Ray Vaughan thing. Gary played until he couldn't play anymore. Gary was never the guy that I'm going to give you 60 minutes and walk away. No. Gary was the guy that I'm going to come out on stage and I'm going to play until my fingers bleed and I can't barely fucking stand up anymore. And then you'll have to drag my carcass off the stage. That's what oh, Gary yeah. was. And that's what Stevie Ray Vaughan was. Um, I got to see Stevie Ray Vaughan the night before he died. He performed oh, in Kalamazoo at the county fair. And... I Wow, that, that's just, no um, idea at that time that this was going to be the last time you could see the guy. We went because hey, Texas flood and you know the house is rocking and and all of these great songs and Stevie was a beast and Stevie played and played and played and played. Stevie played two and a half hours and played until he could barely stand. And when he walked off stage, he had to have two people help him off stage because he was so yeah, fucking uh, dehydrated. Um, you know, and hey, great, we're going to fucking see this guy again. Nope. And then a night and a half later, he's gone. You know, I and saw Steve Ray Vaughn perform his first sober concert after he got out of rehab. He was opening up for Robert Plant on the Noun Zen tour, and they were playing Toronto's Maple Leaf Gardens. And he told us how nervous it was. Yeah. He said he's never performed sober in his life in front of a, a crowd of this size. And know what? He hit it so far out of the park. He would have gone out of two major league parks. He was just amazing. And you could tell the first song or two he was tentative. And then he felt the energy. And yeah. boom, he was high on the crowd. And he went through... A guitar, a song. He broke so many strings that night. He yep. was hitting so hard, you know. And Robert Plant came on and had to perform after it. And it was such a letdown yeah. after the hour of Stevie Ray Vaughan as an opening artist. And it was like, and there was hype that maybe Jimmy Page would actually join Robert yeah. Plant on. And of course it wasn't. It was the the song Tall Cool One. And it was, yeah, riffs from Jimmy Page coming through on a backing track, but not him there, period. But Stevie Ray Vaughan, like Gary Moore, are those two guys who just, they, they would play six hours yeah. and then glue their calluses back together yeah. so they could play the next night. Yeah. And, it, and it says a lot about Stevie. Stevie played with extremely heavy-duty strings. Oh, yeah. More so yeah. than... A lot of people. So for Stevie to break a string, he wasn't breaking your typical guitar string. I oh, mean, where not. most guitars start at like the third or the fourth string, that's where Stevie started and went up. Um, mm. So for Stevie to break a string, bro, like Stevie was. That's would... why his rhythm guitar work sounded so yeah. great. Yeah. Because they were thick ass strings. Yeah. That every, all the way through. All the way to the bottom, and uh, no one manhandled a strat like Gary Moore yeah. and and Stevie Ray Vaughan, yeah. and um, took the fucking thing to, you know. You know, it's sad that you know what 
I would like to think that if there's an afterlife, that those two guys right now are just tearing it up. Oh, I, I, there's no doubt in my mind. Yeah. I, I, I highly believe that when Gary passed, that if there was any justice in the world, Stevie was standing at that gate waiting for, because yeah. Gary was his hero, you know, oh, and yeah. if there's any justice in the world, Stevie was waiting at that gate for oh, him. Oh, absolutely. Just, uh, I would agree with um, 100% you know, on that one. Waiting at the gate with oh. a goddamn strat in his hand. <laughs> yeah, um, a third so, name but, I want to throw in, um, I guess if I had to pick a rhythm guitarist, um, is, a, is a name that a lot of people don't know and really, really should. Uh, he's another blues guitarist. Um, but right up there with Gary and Stevie as a guy that I got to see live and, um, I almost died of dehydration, heat stroke at his show because it got so hot in there from the energy. Uh, and that's Eric, Eric Sardinas. Oh yeah. Eric yes. Sardinas. If you've never heard Eric play, Eric is another one, dude, that, that man is just a fucking yes. monster. Like, you know, like there's not even words to describe Eric, how much energy he has, how much, I mean, I seen him here in Michigan at this little club called Callahan's. It's a little blues club. And, um, you know, only about a hundred people in there. And, um, man, it got so goddamn hot in there from the energy of him performing that. And it was like, he was just giving off his fucking heat and energy. And, um, I couldn't drink water fast enough. I just, I sweated so bad. And by the time I left, I was dizzy and, and nauseous. Oh, yeah. and, you're too far gone at that point. And uh, when you're, you're I, done. you know, I ended up throwing up most of the night. And, um, you know, I just, I felt so terrible the next couple of days. Um, but it was worth it. I mean, Eric is, uh, I've never got another chance to see Eric. Um, but man... I mean, if you if you ever want to see somebody just abuse the shit out of a resonator guitar, <laughs> again, go on YouTube, look up Eric Sardinas, and uh, just watch that man do unholy things to to six strings. Um, so, yeah, that would be the band I would probably put together, um, mainly because um, I think you can't go wrong with either of our bands. They're just yeah. Uh, I, I mean, they're just two different bands, obviously. Right. But with their within what they're able to do, um, yeah. You, you know, it's just I like. I guess I grew up where um, all my brother-in-laws are musicians. My family had a wide range of music from the mm -hmm. Supreme through corporate classic rock of the '70s, Moody Blues. Then I had friends from the Bronx who brought in uh, early, you know, Grandmaster Flash and stuff yep. like that. You know, so I had a real wide palette and I was, uh, you know, I was in that age group to be a Kiss fan just because I was at that right age, yep. right time. And I got my first drum set because I was playing along with Kiss Alive from Kobo Hall there. And I had two pens on my lampshade, and one of them blew up. And yeah. I didn't realize these were antique lamps. And I destroyed a shade with blue ink everywhere. So my parents said, you know what? 
let's get this kid a drum set. And they let me practice for two to three hours a night, every night after school. I'll tell you what, I love kids, but I would never give a drum set to any kid that I know because it would drive me nuts. But they let me do it. And they came to every show, whether it was in high school, they supported, oh, you like Iron Maiden? Okay, you can play it at dinner time for us. You, you know, and they were older. They were, mm. they had me by 40 years. I was adopted by them. And they just, every every show I'd look out there, and there'd be everyone in their leather jackets and, and the studded wristbands, and there'd be my mom and dad just cheering on, you know, clinking mm. glasses as we're rocking out. So, you, See, you I know, never, we, I never had that honor of, uh, I was 15 when I got my first bass. Um local music store was moving from this side of town to this side of town. Uh, he didn't want to move, any, move anything. So I happened to be there. He was having a moving sale. Everything must go. I'll practically give it away if you take it out of my fucking store so I don't have to carry it. Um, so I walk in and you know, all my friends played guitar. Everybody played drums. Nobody played bass. <clears throat> so I'm in there and, uh, man, I see this, the most gorgeous powder blue five-string Ibanez that I've ever seen in my life. The color just, you know, like if you've ever seen a beautiful blonde with just stunning blue eyes, that was the color yeah. of that bass, man. And um, <clears throat> it was just like I had to have that bass. And I was in foster care. I didn't have money at that time, you know. Um, I had like 70 bucks. <laughs> and I thought, you know, I, I asked the guys like, hey, if I, you know, can I put this on layaway and just pay it off? And, um, you know, the guy's like, well, so how much you got? And I was like, I got $74. He says, which one do you want? And I was like, I want that Ibanez. And he takes it down and he says, this one? And I was like, yup. He says, how much you got? And I was like, $74. Hands it to me and it says, sold. And I almost cried, dude, because I was like, I knew that fucking bass was worth way more than 74 bucks, but he just, he didn't want to move the shit. So he sold it to me. And, um, cause of that, my buddy who did have a bunch of money, he went in there and man, he bought a fucking two epiphanies and he bought a big, if you remember the old ADA guitar stacks, he bought two of those and he bought, you know, he bought, just bought a whole, he bought like $700 worth of shit, uh, from the dude. So it was kind of a, Hey, since you were so nice to me, I'll bring in my friend with money and I'll drop a, a shit ton of money in here. Um, so I taught myself to play, you know, half-ass mediocre. And I started my first band. Couldn't find a guitar player that I liked. Everybody knew ACDC. Everybody knew Metallica. Everybody knew Slayer. But there was no feeling in it. There was no emotion. It was just, you know... And it was like, fucking robot. And um, social worker comes along one day and says, you have to go to counseling. I'll be there at 4 o'clock to pick you up, take you to counseling. I I don't want to go, but, you know, state mandate, court mandates it. Got to go. So... She drags me into the, you know, I get into the car and she's like, all right, we got to stop and I got to pick up one other person. I said, okay. So I'm sitting in the car in the driveway with the window down and I hear this fucking guitar, you know, 
and uh, I've basically told you the story, but um, yeah. I hear this guitar, and I'm, holy fuck, I'm out of the car, and I'm at the fucking back fence, and I'm like, who's playing? I just found my guitar player. This is my guitar player, and I'm looking, and there's this little Native American kid, this scrawny little fucking kid. You know, he couldn't have been 70 pounds soaking wet. He's got a fucking Ibanez guitar that's almost the same powder baby blue as my bass. Meant to be. And he is just pounding out the most brutal fucking riffs, man. Heavy but bluesy. And I'm thinking, yup, this is it. So we formed a band. And I didn't think we were very good. But we won a local battle of the bands. And hey, you guys are going to be the opening act for the headliner. All right, cool. Who's the headliner? We don't know yet. We'll let you know. <laughs> Month later, we get told the opening, or we're opening for Jerry Lee Lewis. Now, we're over here. We're kind of doing this sort of skid row, man of war, warrior soul type of sound. You know, thick, heavy, uh, loud. Um, so the only thing we could think of is God. His fans are going to fucking hate us. <laughs> And uh, we go up and we play and we have fun with it and we're rocking out and towards the very end, but at the start of the last song, look to the left and, and Jerry Lee Lewis is standing, you know, we're on one of them like stages that are essentially like the wagons, you know, the, the trailer stages and he's standing at the bottom of the steps and he's watching us. And at that point, I'm kind of nervous because like, holy shit, Jerry Lee Lewis is watching us. So we finish up and we grab our stuff and we go to walk off and we walk down the stairs. As I pass Jerry, he sticks his hand out and I shake his hand and I was like, how are you, Mr. Lewis? And he's like, you know, for a bunch of kids, you don't actually suck. And I was like, I'll take it. I'll I'll take it because from Jerry Lee Lewis, that's about as close to a compliment as you're going to get, you know? (laughs) So, (laughs) um, of course, you know, he went up there and just completely blew the roof off the fucking place and um made oh, us look am- like a bunch of teenagers so um but he's amazing like i mean yeah. I, I even if you don't appreciate that style of music what yeah. he could do on piano is just yeah he was like eddie van halen of piano back then yeah and i think truthfully dude i think at the end of the day i think the reason we relate so well and we connect is because we both came from that very same type of background we grew up with so many different kinds of music you know we both (laughs) another music that we'll both probably get made fun of but the doo-wop thing and the oldies thing you know we love the oldies the old country the first concert was sha na na my first concert then black sabbath the next yeah that's what i'm saying like you know like it's just so many things dude that when you grow up listening to so much bluegrass I don't know if I ever told you the story about bluegrass. My grandfather, to this very day, he has a little clock radio, a little Bose clock radio. It's mounted under the kitchen thing. And um, I don't know if you still listen to it, but back in the day, there used to be this thing called the Renfro Valley Barn Dance. It was okay. on AM radio. It was every Friday night from 6 to, 6 to 8 p.m. And uh, down in Renfro Valley is, is in Kentucky, and it's the, where the Bluegrass Hall of Fame is. 
And it's this okay. great big giant barn. And every Friday, they used to hold this big live barn dance. And they'd bring all the bands and they'd, you know, ship it out over the airs. And, hey, this is Baba coming from... I hated it. You know, it's fucking hillbilly music. So we go to my Uncle Bob's to Georgia one time and we're down in Georgia and coming home grandpa decides he's going to drive two hours out of the goddamn way he has to see Renfro Valley now I'm uh, probably about 14-ish and I'm sitting in the car thinking Jesus are you serious so we get to Renfro Valley and we get there Friday at about 5.30 they're kicking off the barn dance grandpa has to stay for the barn dance and I'm like, oh, fuck me, bro. <laughs> so they're in there. I'm sitting in the car. I'm, uh, you know, I'm pissing and moaning as a teenager. And you're 14. That's what you should you I, be doing. I get cold sitting in the car, so I go in. And I'm sitting on the sidewall. <sighs> you know, and I'm listening to the band. I don't remember the name of the band, Alabama Joe and the Shit Kicker or something like that. Um, after about probably five or ten minutes, I'm watching the band. And I'm watching a band. It was just like. Oh, yeah. I was like, oh, fuck, bro. And it hit me. Mandolin solo, dobro solo, guitar solo, banjo solo, guitar solo, mandolin, banjo, back and forth. And I'm like, holy fuck. Bluegrass is heavy metal for hillbillies. Absolutely. <laughs> and it was just. I ran over and I told my grandpa, I was like, dude, you listen to heavy metal. He's like, I don't listen to that headbanging bullshit. And I'm like, dude, this is heavy metal for hillbillies. And he's like, what are you talking about? So we get home. The first thing I do, I whip out Van Halen. And I was like, right here, bro, listen to this. And he's listening to it in a way. And he's like, that does kind of have a bluegrass feel to it, doesn't it? So after that, my grandpa started listening to more rock stuff because he, Cause I, yeah, because yeah. he realized, crossed him, crossed him over. you know, and I got into bluegrass just oh, yeah. because I, I didn't hate it after that because I realized the structure of what they did, even though it was different, it still, but it was still, yeah, absolutely. precision um, to play what they do on the mandolin at the speeds they yeah. do. That's and still, the banjo, yeah. bro. Like, banjo oh, yeah, players I'm, are bad motherfuckers. Like, <laughs> there's no... <laughs> there's no two ways around that, man. Like, um... But anywho, um... We're an hour and 46 minutes into this. I only meant it to be 60 minutes, but fuck it. It's a debut episode. We're going two hours. So, um... <laughs> I got two more things I want to cover real quick. Um... Sure. Worst movie you've ever seen or, and or a movie you refuse to ever watch again there's a tie i would uh -oh. have to give you a tie i know it seems non-committal but kelsey grammar and up periscope <laughs> and Eddie are two that uh, you would have to tie me down and give me 80 hits of acid to even so what okay well what was the second one i got up periscope eddie the movie with Whoopi Goldberg. Oh, okay. And I, I, I lasted seven minutes in the theater and left. It was horrible. At least up Periscope, I lasted about 25, till my popcorn was gone. 
and then I left. And uh, yeah, the, those are I'm pretty lenient on movies. Like as long as it gives me some form of entertainment. But those two, man, they, they were just horrid. Yeah, and I, you, I would have two as well. Um, first and foremost, mine uh, would be American Psycho. There is something about oh. that movie I hate. I do not like Christian Bale. I am not a Christian Bale fan. I've never seen Christian Bale in anything that even was remotely entertaining, uh, including Batman. Um, I'm not a Bale fan, but that movie, I love the 80s. I love the 80s whole schematics or whatever the fuck you wanted to call it, but that movie was fucking horrible. I hate American Psycho. Um, the second one... Only because it is the only movie that I wanted to physically fight somebody over. Oh, um, my God. What, what could cause that? What, what movie um, could cause that? was when they did the Aragon movie. Oh. Okay. The Aragon books are my favorite books ever written. And I had such high hopes for that. Oh, and you were... Hugely disappointed. Hugely. When they announced it, I was like, all right, they better not fuck this up. Then they said, okay, the producer is this guy. Uh, he's never produced a movie. And I was like, no, 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 no. And then they're like, well, he works for uh, DreamWorks, and he's done Master and Commander, and he's done E.T., and he's done Star Wars, and he's done uh, all of these brilliant Huge. big movies. Yeah. And he's going to have a $300 million budget. So I was like, all right, great. You know, he's Spielberg Jr. with $300 million. You can't possibly fuck yeah. it up. Oh, my God. 15 minutes into the movies, I'm in tears. I'm ready to fight everybody in the theater. I go out. I want the movie. I want the manager. I want my motherfucking money back. I want free popcorn. I want movies for a goddamn year for having to sit through this monstrosity of whatever the fuck it was that that was. I go home. I fire up the internet. Now, this was... You know, Yahoo chat rooms day. I've got Christopher Politi and every motherfucker who will listen on the goddamn Yahoo chat. I'm typing away. I'm pissed. I'm ready to fight everybody in Hollywood over this. I was, to this day, I, I hate that movie. I got my kids into the Aragon books. And they wanted to see the Aragon movie. And I was like, you really don't want to see it. Oh, no, no, no. We... 15 minutes into the phone, into the movie, Benjamin comes out, one of the twins. He's ready to fight me over the Aragon movie. Well, you warned him. He, he, he's, he's so mad. He's like, fuck it. Turn it off. Delete it off the server. Get He's, you know, it, he's, they're the same way. Like, it just, it is, it's this far below a war crime, Basically, what they did with that movie. Um, it's so bad. It's just, I, it's, you know, I, one of my questions is, you know, what movie would you, if you could pick one movie to erase from history, what would it be? My answer would absolutely be Aragon. Um, so, yeah, those would be my two for separate reasons. Um, American Psycho, just because I don't like Christian Bale. And um, a lot of people don't like him. Yeah, as a he's human, that's for sure. He's an asshole. He's he, him and Will Ferrell are for sort of the same reason. Christian, I just don't like Christian. Will, I just find Will to be completely unfunny. Like nothing Will does is funny to me. He just 
the Ricky Bobby character, I think, is the only character he's ever done that I even maybe chuckled at. But the rest, I'm just kind of like, eh, eh. I can see that. I, mm. I can see how um, you have to be a specific, subjective type of comedy fan for for that. You, yeah. You know, I, I, but I grew up with such great comedy in the 70s and early 80s right. that, you, you know... My God, I mean, Sunday nights in Toronto were three hours of comedy from yeah. 8 to 11, right? Yeah. And you'd have everything from George Carlin, old uh, old um, Red Fox, yeah. um, all the way through to a young Eddie Murphy at the time, and all the stops in between. And then they would play two hours of old, um, old-time radio, where it would be The Shadow, or do right. what... You know, and stuff like that. Sunday nights were great for me because I had old-time comedy and I had old-time classic radio. And yeah. know what? There's something... I don't know. I The storytelling on, on both fronts of yeah. that versus the physical comedy stuff. I, I'm just not as much of a fan of physical comedy. But, I mean... Um, I, I like physical comedy uh, if it's done correctly. At least... But yeah. Some, See, some people just don't. I like Adam Sandler. Like I, Adam Sandler to me is somebody who does physical comedy right. It's supposed to be stupid. It's supposed to be goofy. It's supposed to be gaggy. Will doesn't do it for me. No more with my um, movie with my wife when our when we had our right after our. Uh, our engagement party, we went to see Leaving Las Vegas, a real downer of a movie yeah. with Nicholas And I said, Nicholas Cage. And the night like this. So know what we did? Happy Gilmore were playing, so we snuck in right after and watched Happy Gilmore. And come on. Nicholas it, Cage it, is... It's like every movie with Nicholas Cage is basically summed up one way. It's Nicholas Cage playing... Nicholas Cage. <laughs> you know? Like, the man is just... Every character is exactly the same. Um, to the point, like... In his new one, that Willy's Wonderland, he literally doesn't even have a speaking line in the fucking movie. He's just playing Nicholas Cage. That's the joke of the movie. People are like, I don't get it. Oh, it's a whole... He gets trapped in a thing with these psychotic Chuck E. Cheese characters, and, and he doesn't talk, and he goes... That's because the joke is he doesn't talk. He's Nicolas Cage playing Nicolas Cage. That's literally the joke of the movie. He even said that. You know, like when you are so into a thing where you literally, you know, it's just, it, I don't like, I can enjoy Nicholas's movies some, somewhat because some of his movies are kind of cool. I love the National Treasure ones and whatnot. Those are my favorite. Those, um, that that rules for me. You know, but there are certain people. Uh, Ryan Reynolds is, is a is a can't miss for me. Like Ryan is just one of them guys. He has such flawless timing that even when he's not trying to be funny, he's funny. You know, oh, absolutely. Um, um, Adam Sandler. I love Adam Sandler. Um, I mean, there's a few that to me I really love. Action movies. I love Scott Atkins. Scott Atkins is he's such a badass man. And why this man isn't playing James Bond, I don't fucking know. Come on. The guy was built to play fucking James Bond. <laughs> Give the guy James Bond movie. Um, yeah, it's just... 
you know, so much, so much. Uh, the new Mortal Kombat, let me just say, I don't want to be a downer on this, but this was such a missed opportunity for me. To have Max Huang and Joe Taslam in the same movie, and then to completely waste both of their talents on sub, no pun intended, um, subpar characters um, was just a missed. Um, you know, when you literally fuck it up so bad that your villain is the funniest part of the movie. <laughs> like, like Kano really is the best part of the whole movie. You know, and he's the villain, basically. So, I mean, it just, Raiden is an utter joke in this movie. Like, I don't know what the fuck they're thinking of Raiden. Like, Raiden is, I don't know, he's just kind of there. Doesn't do anything, he's just kind of there. Which completely defeats the purpose of Raiden. Um, They focus so much on Sub-Zero versus Scorpion, that even that, they lost the plot of it in... Again, Joe Taslam is Sub-Zero. Taslam, if you've seen the, the Warrior TV series, you know what Joe Taslam can do. Yeah. The guy is a fucking monster fighter, and they just waste him. As He, he, he is great as Sub-Zero, don't get me wrong, but they could have done a hundred times more with him. I mean, it was really endless what they could have done. Uh, Max well, Wong as um, yeah. Kung Lao. Oh. You know, the fight scene that could have been between Kung Lao and Sub-Zero would have been legendary. Yeah. The <laughs> so, price of permission alone just for yeah. that. Um, so, we're going to wrap this up. Um, tell everyone very quickly, where do they find your bands? Where do they find uh, all your good, cool merchandise? Like, this very good, high-quality shirt. Like, these are... Like, I'm literally sitting in my studio sweating my balls off in this shirt. And I've got a fan blowing on me. And, I mean, these are thick, quality shirts, bro. Like, they will, you know, these are not like your little $5. Yeah, oh, no, not at all. So you can find um, Buzzed and Loaded at buzzedandloaded.com. Unbelievably, we were able to trademark buzzedandloaded.com. Flufferrocks.com. And our new album coming out is called Femme Fatale, and we got Andy Claus on bass, who's, a, who's an amazing bass player, and Tony's still on drums with me for five. He's been my one constant for five albums now. And uh, the Jet City Rockers is at jetcityrockers.com. All of our old radio shows are up there, all 216 straight episodes without ever missing a week, even through my... My pilot, uh, Captain Michelle, had knee replacement surgery and didn't miss an episode. And me nice. through two broken bones. And uh, it, that's it, it's the cocktail cocktail. If you like hard rock, you like hair metal, you like classic, maybe obscure live like Sabbath and Priest from the 70s that you aren't going to hear anywhere else, you'll, you'll dig that. And... Um, and we're making our first effort. This this is a big deal for me. It's a bucket list thing for me. We're going to be in the one of the big UK magazines with Buzzed and Loaded. They're doing a full-page interview, and uh, they rated the album a 7 out of 10. And we're in Power Play magazine in the UK, and 
people can pick it up at their Barnes and Nobles and shit nice. like that. I, I can't believe you're talking Metal Edge. I grew up with Krang, yeah. all these magazines, and now I'm in one like that. For me, right. I'm I'm 52 year old guy playing rock and roll, and I just can't believe I'm gonna see my ugly mug in a <laughs> fucking magazine. That's right. <laughs> um. And that that pretty much sums up everywhere you can find us. And everything I do with Fluffer is for charity. We've uh, raised every album is for a different charity. Our last album, Hammer of the God, raised a ton of money for St. Jude's research. And this um, new one coming up, we're actually sticking local for a domestic abuse center for uh, for women here in the Seattle King County area. And um, Buzz and Loaded, that's a for-profit, and uh, that's for to keep us in booze. And if I could throw it out there, there is going to be, the only thing that's held it up is COVID, for crying out loud, but there is a Buzz and Loaded line of whiskey coming out from a local di- di- uh, distillery here in Seattle. Charlie Renegade, thank you for that. Oh, shit. There you go. Um, fuck around and get me in trouble. <laughs> Uh-oh. Um... <laughs> This is the Noise Report. I'm the Music God. CJ playing, you know me, Mr. Asshole, the rock and roll mayor, or the rock and roll wannabe mayor. Um, oh, well. <laughs> Mr. Robert Tresino over here. And this is going to be us just signing off. Until next time, peace, bitches. <laughs>